Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Um, there will be some senators here in a moment to introduce our distinguished uh, nominee, uh, but they wanted us to go ahead and get started. We typically give them the courtesy of going first so they can move on to other business. So, Mr. Jester, it's a pleasure to welcome you here today, and to, um, we're glad that you're the nominee uh, to be our next ambassador in India. As one of the two largest democracies in the world, the United States and India share a strategic interest in promoting and maintaining stability in the region. Just last week, Secretary Mattis met with Prime Minister Modi in New Delhi, underscoring the importance of our two countries' growing security and cooperation. As these talks highlighted, the United States and India continue to work closely together to promote stability and economic development in Afghanistan, confront terrorist threats, and preserve freedom of navigation in the Indian Ocean and the South China Sea. In recent years, the United States and India have partnered together with regional players, including Japan and Australia, to address regional and global differences. These partnerships are critical to preserving rule of law principles that form a basis for economic and political stability throughout the region. Nearly a decade ago, the U.S.-India Civil Nuclear Agreement was heralded as the beginning of a new era in our relationship. While there's been steady progress in relations between Washington and Delhi, the aspirational nature of the civil nuclear deal has left both countries struggling to meet unrealistic expectations. I know we talked at length about that yesterday. In particular, I remain frustrated by the slow pace of Indian reforms in the economic sphere. American companies continue to face barriers to Indian market access, including high tariffs and strict localization policies. The company, companies that are able to enter the Indian market often counter compulsory licensing requirements and lacks intellectual property protections. The foreign investment environment remains unpredictable, and even large-scale contracts are subject to alteration or cancellation without cause. Clearly the, clearly, the economic playing field is not even. Additionally, the space for civil society in India continues to shrink as Hindu nationalism rises and international NGOs face undue scrutiny. I urge you to pursue, excuse me, I also remain concerned about the scale of India's human trafficking problem, including bonded labor. The State Department's Trafficking and Persons Report ranks India as a Tier 2, citing the government's record of investigations and prosecutions as being disappointingly low. Mr. Jester, you will be in a unique position to shape the U.S.-India relationship for coming years. It will be important to continue progress on security cooperation, including new areas like North Korea, as you seek a level playing field for American companies. I urge you to pursue an open and candid dialogue with our Indian counterparts to, about the roadblocks in our relationship. The time is long overdue for breaking the cycle of expectation and disappointment, and I look forward to hearing your vision for normalizing U.S.-India relations. Thank you. Senator Warner, we typically uh, ask senators to go first as a courtesy and, and do our opening comments after. We went ahead and began because we understood you might be as much as 10 minutes late. So Senator Cardin will give his comments and then we'll introduce you, but it's typically we bend over backwards to let people and, like you and go And I first. know that Senator Warner wanted to listen to my opening comments. So it's, 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 yeah. it's wonderful to have Senator Warner here. And 
Um, I, I know of some, at least one of his conflicts because the Senate Finance Committee is also meeting yeah. on business taxes. So I, I promise to give a, a short opening comment. I, I do want to first, Mr. Chairman, if I might, uh, note that this is one of, I think, three hearings we're having this week on nominations. And um, speaking on behalf of the Democrats, uh, and I mean this as a compliment, we are following the path that you set in the last Congress and considering President Obama's hearings in our committee. You did it in a very timely way. You facilitated those hearings as quickly as we could have them. And I've instructed our staff and our, particularly our ranking members of the subcommittees that will be holding two additional hearings that we want to accommodate as quickly as possible President Trump's nominees, uh, for, particularly for uh, key positions and ambassadorships. Uh, and we, we've done that, and I want to thank our ranking members. I do want to just note one disappointment, if I might, and that is uh, we were not able to proceed this week on the uh, nominee for South Sudan, uh, which is a career person. Uh, South Sudan's in critical uh, situation. I think it's important that we have a confirmed ambassador as quickly as possible uh, for that country, considering the urgency of the humanitarian crisis in the country as, as we exist. So uh, we're going to continue to work very closely with you, try to get as many of these nominees, as hearings as possible. We had hoped that the Trump administration would submit them to us in a more timely way. They're now bunched up, but we'll do everything we can uh, to advance uh, these nominees. And to uh, Mr. Juster, it's a pleasure to have you here. I enjoyed our conversation. Uh, you bring incredible credentials, uh, and I, I acknowledge that. And I had a, a very good meeting with you, and I very much appreciated our opportunity to talk about many of the issues that confront India. The chairman has already mentioned that the United States and India are the two largest democracies in the world. Our relationships have grown stronger over time, but there are still challenges. The chairman mentioned several of those challenges. He mentioned the commerce issues, which are real challenges as to how we're going to advance the commerce issues. He also mentioned trafficking which is a significant problem in India, no question about it. There are also other human rights challenges in that country, including the, the uh, registration laws that can be, can be used inappropriately, including areas of, of India that uh, because of their federalism system, and I was very impressed with your knowledge of the challenges of India's democratic country in dealing with the problems. The central government cannot handle some of the issues in such a large country, but we need to do better. We need to work together to deal with the human rights struggles, with the, uh, the, the commerce issues. Security cooperation has been pretty strong. And of course, we also have the challenges as, as to deal with their neighbors that, are, are, that bring up why it's so important that we all work together. So, so my, my plea is that work with this committee. We share the same goals. We share the same desires, and I think Congress and the mission working together, we can advance the partnership and even make it stronger. It's a pleasure to have you here, and I thank your family for being willing to share your talent with this country. I want to thank you again for being here, and uh, certainly we're always honored to have senators, but especially Senator Warner, who we work with very, very closely. I know he's got very uh, big demands on his time. we sorry you had to sit through our opening comments for a moment, but we do thank you for coming in to introduce our nominee, who we're all very impressed with, and uh, thank you. And uh, if you'd go ahead and say whatever it is you wish to say, and 
leave and get on to intelligence or finance or some other committee. <coughs> Again, thank you for being here today. We well, very much appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Um, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Cardin, members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, thank you for the opportunity for allowed me to introduce my friend Ken Juster. I would note, Mr. Chairman, uh, you and I having worked together for so long, knowing your punctuality, I would reflect the record that I did get here at 10.04, so that okay. was still pretty good to get checked into banking. That's about a 15-minute improvement for you, so <laughs> thank you. Yes, Let me, um, I, I'm here for a couple of reasons. One, as co-chair of the um, Senate India Caucus, um, this appointment is, is very important. I also, um, my co-chair, uh, Senator John Cornyn, uh, he's got a, another meeting this morning, but he wanted to make sure that he conveyed to the committee as well his st strong support um, uh, for, for Ken's nomination. Um, and so clearly both of us from the Senate India Caucus support this. Uh, I will also acknowledge that um, Ken and I went to law school together. Um, he did slightly better than I at law school. We had different focuses, uh, but uh, he's he has had an extraordinarily um, distinguished career, and as as you've mentioned, this relationship between the two worlds, largest democracies, is absolutely critical. Ken's worked on U.S.-India relations for more than 16 years. He's held leadership uh, positions in a number of important organizations, Freedom House, where he worked on Human Rights Works, uh, the Asia Foundation, where he worked on development issues, um, the University of Pennsylvania Center for Advanced Study of India, and the U.S. India Business Council. Um, he's also worked on our bilateral relations inside uh, the federal government, because from 2001 to 2005, Ken was the Undersecretary of Commerce for the Bureau of Industry and Security. In that capacity, he was at the intersection of business and national security issues, including strategic trade controls, imports, and foreign investments that obviously affect uh, U.S. security. Uh, during that time, he founded and chaired the U.S.-India high-tech uh, cooperation group and was a key architect in the next steps in the strategic partnership. I think both you and the ranking member have outlined some of the challenges, um, human trafficking, uh, other issues around building strong democratic institutions in India. I would point out, uh, while on the security side, we continue to make uh, great strides. One of the things I think that's um, uh, extraordinarily important, and Ken and I talked about this uh, as he prepped for this meeting, you know, we've seen the trade relationship uh, grow from about $10 billion to $115 billion. We expect that to grow to $500 billion over the next few years. So. Uh, because of his uh, distinguished career, uh, I think Ken will serve our, our nation well. And again, let me reiterate both my and, and John Cornyn's strong bipartisan support as co-chairs of the, of the um, uh, India Caucus. And I, I think the president could not have made a better choice. And I appreciate again the chair and the ranking member for my opportunity to introduce to who I hope you will soon confirm on a speedy basis. Thank you, and thanks for your leadership uh, on so many issues relative to India. Um, with that, uh, Mr. Jester, I know you have some family members here that you cherish. Uh, you're welcome to introduce them and begin your testimony. If you could keep it to about five minutes, that'd be great. Any written documents you have will be entered into the record without objection, okay? Uh, thank you. Uh, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Cardin, and members of the committee,
It is a great honor to be with you today as President Trump's nominee to be U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of India. I would like to express my gratitude to the President and the Secretary of State for the confidence and trust they have placed in me to take on this important position. I'd also like to thank Senator Warner for that very kind introduction. If confirmed, I look forward to working with each of you to advance our strategic partnership with India, a relationship that is critical to promoting U.S. national security and economic interests. I'm very pleased to be joined this morning by my mother, Muriel Juster, who recently celebrated her 90th birthday, my cousins Emily Randall and Cindy Camp, and several close friends. Other members of my family were un unable to attend, but I greatly appreciate their support. I regret that my father, the late Howard Juster, is not here with us. He would have been very proud to see me testify before this committee. Over the years, I've been fortunate to be involved in a range of matters relating to India, both in government and the private sector. The remarkable evolution of U.S.-India relations truly has been a bipartisan undertaking and has benefited from strong leadership and support in the Congress. As Undersecretary of Commerce during the first term of the Bush administration, I worked closely with officials in Washington and New Delhi on this effort. With India's Foreign Secretary, we formed the High Technology Cooperation Group to identify and remove tariff and non-tariff barriers to commerce in this sector. Working with my colleagues in the U.S. government, we also developed an initiative known as the Next Steps in Strategic Partnership. This initiative provided a roadmap for expanded cooperation with India in civil nuclear activities, civil space programs, and high technology trade. And the success of this effort laid the foundation for the civil nuclear agreement. When I returned to the private sector in 2005, I remained involved in a variety of U.S.-India business and policy issues. If confirmed, I believe that my familiarity with government officials, business people, and academic and think tank leaders in both countries will enhance my ability to represent the United States. From my perspective, the first priority of a U.S. ambassador is to promote U.S. interests and be an exemplary representative of the U.S. government and the American people. If confirmed, I will join with the dedicated men and women who work at our mission in India in protecting our homeland and advancing the interests and welfare of nearly 800,000 American citizens present in India at any given time. I also will strive to ensure the safety and well-being of our mission employees and their families. As has been mentioned, India and the United States share common values and a commitment to democracy, pluralism, and the rule of law. The administration firmly believes that a strong India and a strong U.S.-India relationship are in America's interest. India's role in the Indo-Pacific region and globally will be critical to international security and economic growth over the course of this century. There are many elements of our effort to expand and enhance the strategic partnership between our countries. One key pillar is to deepen defense and security cooperation, building on the U.S. recognition of India as a major defense partner. Together, our countries seek to ensure freedom of navigation, overflight, and commerce, and advance a rules-based democratic order throughout the Indo-Pacific region. If confirmed, I also look forward to engaging my counterparts in India to strengthen our cooperation on the most pressing challenges to regional security and global peace, from the DPRK's destabilizing pursuit of nuclear weapons to the growing threat that all forms of terrorism uh, pose to our people. In addition, I will make it a priority to work closely with New Delhi to promote security and stability in Afghanistan, where India already has provided billions in economic support. In the economic sphere, Prime Minister Modi has undertaken important reforms, including the landmark goods and services tax, though there's more to be done. 
If confirmed, I look forward to identifying ways that the United States can be a partner in these reform efforts to the mutual benefit of our business communities and our citizens. India's 1.3 billion people and its rapidly expanding middle class represent a significant market opportunity for U.S. goods and services. As the former Deputy Assistant to the President for International Economic Affairs, I appreciate the imperative to expand free, fair, and balanced trade. We will pursue that goal by working with India to improve and expedite regulatory processes, ensure that technology and innovation are fostered and protected, and increase market access for U.S. firms. A critical element in realizing the potential of our economic relationship will be to elevate our energy ties so that more natural gas, clean coal, crude oil, and renewable technologies are available to fuel India's growth and support U.S. jobs. In addition, we will seek to strengthen our collaboration in, another, in a number of other important areas, including, as mentioned by uh, the chairman and the ranking member, human rights and trafficking in persons, law enforcement cooperation, science and technology, space, health, and agriculture. As we move forward in these efforts, an essential foundation of our relationship is our people-to-people -people ties. There are nearly four million Indian Americans living in the United States, a community that exemplifies the spirit of innovation, entrepreneurship, and strong values that our country share. If confirmed, I will continue to emphasize our public diplomacy efforts in India, including our educational and cultural exchanges. Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Cardin, and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. I look forward to working with you and other members of Congress on the important role that you play in the U.S.-India relationship. I welcome your questions. Thank you very much. Senator Cardin. Mr. Juster, I, in our conversations, I underscored the importance of the relationship, and I think it's getting stronger. There are a lot of good things we could talk about, but I'm going to spend my time dealing with challenges that we have between our two countries. Uh, and first, um, although the chairman just walked out, in honor of our chairman, uh, who has been the leader on trafficking issues on this committee, the largest democracy in the world, obviously the numbers are going to reflect larger numbers. There are 18 million people in India estimated in bonded uh, labor, slavery. Uh, that number is unacceptable. There are regions of India that have significant problems in trafficking. How do you plan to make that a priority of our embassy uh, to work with the Indian government uh, to address this issue? Well, thank you very much for that question, Senator Gar uh, Cardin. And I do want to emphasize that that will be a priority of mine. As you know, I've uh, served as the head of Freedom House for two years and was on the board for seven years. And so these issues are of great concern to me and of our government. And uh, the Indians are also very concerned with this. If you read the vibrant Indian press and see civil society, they uh, discuss these issues uh, at great length. Nonetheless, especially at the state and local level, these problems persist, as indicated in our trafficking in persons report. Uh, we at the embassy, if confirmed, uh, will take this as a very high priority. I know a lot of work is already being done in terms of public outreach, in terms of law enforcement cooperation, and it's something that I will, if confirmed and am uh, on the ground, try to figure out the best interlocutors to move this forward. And again, it's not just going to be at the national level, but at the state, the local level. It's meeting with NGOs, uh, providing uh, shelter for uh, yeah, people I, who are victims. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope you'll work with us on that. I, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I just really want to respond. You're, you're, it's a democracy. There's 
ample press coverage of the trafficking issues, no question about it. The government gets a little bit defensive at times on these issues. And there is a federalism problem on the trafficking issues. So I hope that you'll report back to us the progress that you've made, and not just wait for the annual TIP reports, but to work with us because India being the largest democracy, what they do is, is very reflective of our ability with other countries to be able to get the type of progress that we expect. The other major human rights issue I just want to go into, and there's a lot we could go into, is the working with uh, NGOs, uh, particularly those who may be restricted or prohibited by authorities under the new foreign NGO management law. It seems to me that our embassy can play a very important role in protecting the rights of civil societies and NGOs. Uh, Senator, <clears throat> first let me reiterate, as I indicated in my uh, statement, that I very much look forward, if confirmed, to working with you and other members of the committee on the whole range of issues that relate to India. I welcome visits from the committee and from other members of Congress, and I certainly, when back in Washington, will seek out you and other members as well to report on these issues. That's a very high priority. Uh, with regard to NGOs, there have been regulations that uh, need to be enforced in an even and transparent way. Uh, I am concerned that it seems that some foreign NGOs seem to be singled out at times. I'll, again, if confirmed, want to get a better handle on those issues on the ground, but certainly we'll meet <coughs> meeting with members of civil society. I was very active in the civil society in this country, and a vibrant civil society is critical to a well-functioning democracy. So that's, again, a, an important priority. And, and I will be sending, I sent all our missions reminder letters of what the nominees said during confirmation hearings on advancing human rights. So. Expect that, and we would like regular reports on the progress being made in regards to advancing our values on human rights. Another potential problem could be the enforcement of sanctions, uh, most recently against Russia. Uh, we also, of course, have other sanction issues, uh, and India has not been as, as, as um, strong as they could on, on uh, enforcing sanction laws. How do you intend to represent the U.S. interest in India's compliance with sanctions? Uh, I'm not familiar with what may be the specifics on the Russian sanctions and, that, and whether India is in compliance with those or not, but sanctions generally are something that are part of U.S. law, and uh, if that's the case, I will be seeking to enforce them very uh, actively. I do know during the Iran process that India did comply with sanctions and did lessen its uh, oil imports from Iran. Uh, and my understanding is they've been complying with the uh, North Korea uh, sanctions. But that's an issue, again, that would be uh, uh, something that we would take seriously. And again, on the Russian sanctions, I would need to uh, dig in further on that if confirmed. And the last area on challenges I want to just mention briefly is that during the Paris climate negotiations. India was a partner with the United States in advancing the international agreement. Now that the U.S. position is not as clear as it was a year ago in regards to our participation on climate talks, that could be a real challenge uh, for our India mission uh, with the Indian government. Can you just explain how you will deal with the international issues on climate 
recognizing that India did make certain commitments based upon the U.S. requests? Well, even though the United States, the President has indicated that he uh, is intending to withdraw from the climate agreement, he's also indicated his strong interest in clean air, clean technology, uh, clean water, and uh, the United States still has made very significant strides. And so I see working with India on this as a continued important priority. I know the Indians are very interested in expanding the role of renewables in their energy demand, and uh, they, too, are very serious. I have Prime Minister Modi about environmental concerns, which are not insubstantial uh, in the country. So I don't see the position we took at the climate agreement as affecting my desire, if confirmed, to be working with India on uh, clean technology, renewables, and other efforts to improve the environment. I agree with that. I, I think India is very interested in, in, in from the economic position as well as from the environmental, international, the uh, the green energy sources. It's a it's a, it's an economic issue in their country. So I think there could be and there's a lot of this is our technology and shared technology. We've developed te technologies together. So I think there really is a path forward without getting into the politics of of a membership in the where we are at the from the White House. I would encourage you to do that. I think there's strong support on both sides of the aisle for us to improve those ties uh, with India. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yes, sir, thank you. And I appreciate you bringing up the uh, trafficking and modern slavery issue. And we had a very good talk yesterday regarding that, and, and we understand the cultural issues that exist in India, but another ambassador or nominee is very committed to that. But thank you for bringing that up. Senator Portman. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much. appreciate your deferring as, as chair, since we all have three committees going on at the same time here. Uh, I'm, I'm here to Especially you. I think you have more committees than anybody in the Republican <laughs> caucus. Thanks to you. Thank you. Yes, sir, that's Thanks right. Thanks for giving me the great honor of being on this committee, which I love. And, and uh, Ken, thank you for your willingness to step forward. You've got an amazing background, Commerce Department, National Security Council, most recently State Department. Um, your background uh, with the non-governmental groups and the leadership roles you've played in them. Uh, as you know from our conversations, I'm very eager to expand our relationship with India. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. Uh, when I was U.S. Trade Representative, we did start the U.S.-India Trade Policy Dialogue. Uh, that was 2005. Since then, we have tripled our trade with India, and yet it was from such a low starting point that there is much more to be done. So I agree with what you said today about fair and balanced and free trade. Um, I do continue to deep concerns about market access for some of our products and services, and specifically in the intellectual property area that you and I talked about. Uh, could you just share with the committee briefly some of your thoughts on how to level that playing field to ensure even more trade between our two great democracies? Uh, thank you very much for that uh, question, Senator Portman. Obviously, the economic issues have been a major concern of mine. When I was in the private sector, I was on the board of the U.S.-India Business Council. Uh, yeah. If there's enormous potential in the economic sphere, but we have only begun to scratch the surface. Uh, we need to continue pressing forward, uh, make sure that India adheres to its WTO obligations, and that we uh, can push the range of economic issues, whether it be standards and non-tariff barriers, intellectual property. My hope is as more Indian entrepreneurs develop their own intellectual property, there'll be a greater interest in the protections of it. But I will be, uh, one of my major priorities will be 
to be a strong advocate for U.S. business interests in India. And ultimately, I would hope that the Indian community would see the economic relationship as a strategic asset and part of what can help develop our overall strategic partnership and something that is in both interests, in the interests of both countries. And I think as Prime Minister Modi uh, moves forward with his reform programs uh, and as he seeks to have a high level of growth, it will become increasingly clear that U.S. companies can contribute to that and removing some of these barriers to trade would be an accelerator in that growth process. Well, thank you. I, and I, I agree with you. And I think on the reforms that he's pursuing, it helps to have uh, the U.S. relationship. And we can be a constructive partner in that. I also think from our perspective, uh, India is an important counterweight to the influence that China has in the region. And, and that is not lost on this committee. You talked about trafficking. I appreciate your commitment to combating that. As you know, the chairman, ranking member, a real commitment uh, to work with you on that, as, as do I. You mentioned in your brief testimony uh, abduction of people. And let me raise this issue, because it's a tricky one, but really important. And um, I think there are something like 80 cases right now of abductions of American kids in India. And it's part of our relationship that uh, I think doesn't get enough focus. Um, India has not yet signed the 1980 Hague Convention on International Child Abduction. By the way, there are something like 95 countries who have signed that, and, and India should sign it. And it basically provides an expedited mechanism to adjudicate these child custody disputes that arise and, and help return abducted kids to their rightful homes. Um, as you know from our conversation, there are a number of Ohio cases, and one recent one uh, that is very compelling. And uh, I need your commitment here today that you're going to help us both with the policy, which is to get India to sign the Hague Convention to have this mechanism, but also on these specific cases of Ohio kids who have been abducted. Could you speak about that briefly? Uh, thank you for that question, Senator Portman. I can't think of anything more heartbreaking than having a parent have their child abducted and not being able to visit them or have some resolution of the matter. I think it's also heartbreaking for the child who's involved. So this is a very serious issue. Uh, as you've indicated, the Indian government is not a signatory to the Hague Convention. Uh, I don't know how likely it is that they may become one, but that's certainly if confirmed an issue that I would pursue. But even if they are not in that convention, it's important that there be some process for addressing and trying to resolve individual cases. And I do commit to you, as I did when we discussed, that uh, your case or any other one will be one that I will uh, take very seriously and try my best to resolve. I want to meet with the individuals who are involved in these and understand their stories and their side of the issue. Uh, and uh, again, it will be an important, and I know it is already important, to concern for the mission in India. Well, thanks for your personal commitment to that. It's frustrating when a U.S. parent gets a adjudication in India that is positive and yet cannot enforce it. And as you say, heartbreaking uh, for that family and ultimately for that child. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thanks very much for being here, Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Jester. Congratulations on the nomination. I look forward to supporting. You're, you're very well qualified to do this job, this very important job. I was just in a hearing and left to come down here, a, a hearing uh, in the Armed Services Committee's um, Secretary Mattis and General Dunford talking about our strategy in Afghanistan. Secretary Mattis just returned from a trip to India and Afghanistan where part of the visit was to 
um, thank uh, the Indian government for work that they're doing, especially on development in Afghanistan, very important work. Um, the Indian-U.S. military-to-military relationship is, is a strong one now. Um, India does more joint exercises with the United States than any other nation. And this is obviously primarily a mill-to-mill -mill relationship, but talk a little bit about, as ambassador, what you might be able to do to, uh, to further and deepen these uh, important security connections between our countries. Uh, thank you, uh, Senator Kane. And as you said, that's a very important aspect of our overall partnership uh, in the military sphere. Ten years ago, we had no sales of military equipment to <clears throat> India. We now have $15 billion. There's another $30 billion up for bid over the next seven years, and the United States would like to play a strong role in that. One thing, therefore, that I'd be doing if confirmed as ambassador would be to advocate very strongly for the Indians to select U.S. manufacturers of equipment. Not only do I think it would be good for the military-to-military -military relationship, but it would be good for our trade balance and for our economic relationship uh, at the same time. Uh, as you mentioned, India does more joint exercises than anyone else, than it does with the United States, than with any other country. I'd want to continue that process. Uh, I know they just finished a very successful trilateral exercise with Japan as well, the Malabar exercise. So uh, continuing those opportunities will be important. I uh, would look to work closely with the uh, commander in the Pacific Command as well as the Central Command because India straddles the border of those two commands. Uh, it's important, as you mentioned, that uh, India play a very constructive role. It's been a partner of ours in trying to secure stability and, and uh, security in Afghanistan and make that a peaceful place and to cooperate more broadly on counterterrorism issues. So I think there's a broad range of activities we can do, and it'll be an important part of, if confirmed, my agenda overall, as I said, from both a military perspective, also an economic perspective, and a broader sense of our strategic partnership. When I was uh, last in India, it was in, I think, the October of 2014, and Senator King, who serves on the Armed Services and Intelligence Committee, and I went to see the Indian shipbuilding operation at the Magazan docks in Mumbai. And I would just encourage colleagues who, who visit India, they're really proud to show off what they have. And then subsequently, the Indian military leadership has come and uh, toured shipyards here, including the shipyard in Virginia. These kinds of exchanges, I think, can really deepen the relationship. So encourage visiting delegations to include a mill-to-mill -mill component. Um, I, I would ask you that. One of the areas uh, where my constituents reach out to me occasionally uh, about India is in the human rights area, and usually if they reach out to me, it's, it's dealing with religious diversity and especially the treatment of religious minorities, especially Sikhs. And, um, you know, n not being on the ground and investigating it myself, you know, I don't reach fixed conclusions about this, but um, talk a little bit about uh, how you could use a position as ambassador, um, if confirmed, to advance what, what really is and should be a shared goal of both of our great democracies of religious tolerance. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Senator, India has a great tradition of tolerance. It's a multi-religious country. Uh, and it has the values that we have in that area. Nonetheless, there are incidents that occur from time to time in the religious area that are troubling and that I would want to, if confirmed, work with the Indians on understanding better and seeking 
ways to improve that situation. I happened to run into yesterday on my way out of the meeting with uh, Chairman Corker, uh, Senator Brownback, who's going to be the if confirmed the U.S. Ambassador for International Religious Freedom, uh, and I urged him to visit India. I know that his predecessor had done so, and that's certainly something that he is very cognizant of, and it's important that we have that dialogue and pursue these issues. Again, if confirmed, part of the challenge is to find out the most productive way to pursue them mm -hmm. and to uh, find the right interlocutors and, and, and way to make these points, uh, but India itself, as you know, has a very uh, active civil society that raises these issues and, and uh, discusses them, and uh, ultimately, as a democracy, they're going to have to come to grips with, with it, but we can play a very important role uh, in terms of our uh, viewpoints on them and, and our support in this area. Thank you. It's a, it's a great ally and an important relationship, and I congratulate you for your uh, nomination. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, sir. Senator Cardinal. I want to follow up on Senator Kane's point, and that is trying to find mechanisms in which we can advance some of these discussions. India was a founding member of the Community of Democracies in the UN Democracy Fund, so they have a track record of international participation on human rights. And when I was in India, I had suggested that we should have an instit institutionalized uh, an exchange on human rights, as we've done with other countries, where we have a regularly scheduled opportunity to have bilateral discussions on the advancement of human rights. There are many examples of countries in which we've done this with, but the one I think is perhaps the most successful has been Vietnam, where we have regularly scheduled human rights sessions with a country that we had significant issues with. And I think it was one of the reasons why <clears throat> Vietnam was selected as a country to participate in the TPP, because we had made significant advancements on human rights uh, and values so that we felt confident enough that we could enter into a trade agreement with Vietnam. Uh, India, of course, is in a different level, uh, and there's, no, there's, there's certainly, it's not a comparison as to where they are in human rights, but it does show the value of having these types of scheduled exchanges. It's not one-sided, it's, it's a shared, uh, practices in which we, as the two largest democracies, could show our leadership globally uh, on uh, democracy and human rights issues. Uh, would you consider that? I know I had uh, support from the government of India. They were interested in it. We didn't pursue it to completion, and I would just ask that you look at that as a possible way to, to advance this agenda. Uh, thank you, uh, Senator Cardin. That's certainly an issue that I'd be delighted, if confirmed, to look at and to explore and to understand what's already had in terms of what's occurred in terms of uh, raising that issue with the Indians. As I mentioned, you know, they are a democracy that grapples with these issues, and uh, we have to figure out the most appropriate way to interact with them to be productive in, in advancing the perspective that we have. But I'd be more than happy if confirmed to uh, continue to look at that idea. And, and we'll be glad to work with you on that because there's different levels in which this can be done. We're, we're not looking at it as a challenge to India, but more how we share best practices as the two largest democracies and where each of us can improve. We have concerns in our own country, they have concerns in their country, how we can support each other 
in advancing uh, our global leadership on, on democracy and human rights. And uh, I think India has a proud history here, and joining in the United States would give both of us, I think, greater international credibility. I thank you, and again, thank you for your willingness to serve our country. Thank you. Senator Coons. <clears throat> um, thank you, uh, Chairman Corker and Ranking Member Cardin, and uh, thank you for uh, uh, understanding the demands of many of us who uh, have several different hearings to go between. So appreciate the opportunity uh, to question you, uh, and thank you for your uh, ongoing dedication to public service, uh, Mr. Jester, and um, I understand your, your mother uh, is here with you today. Uh, Ma'am, thank you for raising a, a wonderful um, young man who is uh, dedicated to serving his country. Uh, and to the other members of your extended family who are with you. Um, in April, Senator Merkley and I uh, had an opportunity to travel to India. It was my first trip. He was returning, having been an intern in the State Department there, I think, 30 years ago. Um, and we had an opportunity to see firsthand how our partnerships uh, with the Indian government help lift families and communities out of poverty and, in particular, help to empower women and girls. Uh, we also had a chance to talk about the strategic relationship between these two great uh, large uh, democracies and how that might imp impact the strategic situation in the region. Um, and although um, our strategic relationship is, is critical to the future of the region, we also sometimes overlook how far countries like India have come in fighting uh, poverty and disease as a result of targeted interventions where USAID and innovative NGOs like CARE and the Gates Foundation and others have played a vital role. So. Um, I have introduced uh, a bipartisan bill that would require the U.S. government to develop a 10-year strategy to end preventable maternal and child newborn deaths by 2035 and to leverage commitments from the private sector, nonprofits, and partner countries. And in previous iterations, it's included uh, innovative financing vehicles. As ambassador, um, how might you engage the Indian government uh, to prevent, to help partner to prevent maternal and child deaths in India? Uh, and would you work with uh, the private sector and innovative NGOs to try and make a significant difference in ending preventable maternal and child deaths? Uh, thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, by all means, that's a very important issue. Uh, my understanding is that there is a active health dialogue already uh, with India and that in the embassy there are representatives of several of our agencies, including the Center for Disease Control, uh, that are involved in that. But also, as you mentioned, uh, it's critical that the civil society and the private sector be involved. And again, if confirmed, that's something I am comfortable and used to working with and would want to advance every avenue that we can to assist and work with uh, the government of India at the state, uh, local uh, level to deal with uh, what's a tragic issue uh, would be deaths from uh, childbirth uh, and quite frankly to deal with other health concerns uh, that may uh, arise and need to be dealt with as well. I know that tuberculosis has been an area where the embassy has worked with uh, the government of India and, and, and other challenges as they arise, we want to do so. Well, the scale, the very scale uh, of India makes um, both, I think, morally compelling uh, and uh, challenging. Um, the opportunity to demonstrate interventions that can then have consequences not just on the Indian subcontinent but for the rest of the developing world. So uh, my hope is that you will pursue that, um, assuming you're confirmed. Um, H-1B visa program uh, allows highly skilled foreign workers to come to the United States, and 
Uh, there are some in Congress who've been sharply critical of it. Uh, President Trump has been critical of it. Um, the administration temporarily suspended so-called premium processing for H-1B visas in early March, uh, which led to some concern in India. And I've heard some expressions of concern from uh, Indian headquartered companies that also uh, operate in the United States. Um, when I visited our embassy in New Delhi uh, and walked the visa line uh, to see the process that's followed for folks seeking to come to the United States, I saw many uh, Indians trying to come to the United States to study at our top universities or to contribute to our economy in Silicon Valley. What's your opinion of the H-1B program? Um, how do you see it playing in the U.S.-India relationship? Um, and will you work to support ongoing opportunities for highly skilled workers to come to the United States uh, if confirmed? Well, uh, first I would note that the embassy or the mission in India processes, I believe, more visas a year than any other mission in the world. I think it's well over a million. Uh, and it's an enormous effort, and part of that is to protect our homeland. It's also to facilitate uh, getting qualified people to uh, come to our country. Uh, as you know, the president uh, on in April issued an executive order uh, for the administration to look into our overall visa policies, and that uh, interagency process is not yet completed, so I'm not really in a position to represent the administration on where they are. Obviously, the H-1B visa has been an important part of the uh, India-U.S. relationship. I think there is a consensus that it should be directed to high-quality uh, jobs, uh, and uh, I think that message, from my understanding, is being heard in India as well in the United States. But again, the actual details on what will be the final policy on H-1B remain to be determined. Well, thank you. One last question, if I might, Mr. Jester, just a parochial concern. Uh, when it comes to addressing uh, trade imbalances, um, some are familiar with a, a high-quality source of protein called chicken, uh, which uh, happens to be the major agricultural export of both uh, the states of Delaware and Maryland, uh, among many others. Uh, and the Indian market is one uh, from which we have been uh, effectively excluded for a number of years, and I would hope, uh, if you're to be confirmed, to have the opportunity to pursue further with you a discussion about how we might um, access the Indian market uh, for this uh, tasty, high-quality American agricultural export. So. Uh, again, that is a troubling issue. Since 2006, I believe, there have not been any imports of poultry. There was a WTO case that the United States prevailed in, but in our view, India has still not complied with that. So this will be another of the uh, trade and business issues that I, if confirmed, would be pursuing with the Indian government. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. You and I had an ample time to yesterday to talk through numbers of issues. Um, to your mother and two friends who've come today, uh, typically when we have an extraordinarily well-qualified person, there are very few people who come. It's usually when there's a controversial uh, nominee that's here. Uh, so I want to second what Senator Kuhn said about raising a fine sign. We're glad that someone of his ilk and qualifications and demeanor is going to be representing our country in India. Um, I hope you'll be swiftly confirmed. For the record, uh, there will be questions that will be asked. We'll keep the record on until, open until the close of business Thursday. We'll have a recess period, as you know, in between. But if you could answer those questions fairly quickly, it'll expedite uh, your confirmation. Again, thank you for your willingness to serve. 
um, having dedicated, committed, intelligent people like you in these positions is very important to our country, and I thank you for your willingness. Well, thank you very much, Chairman Corker, and I will do my best to get those questions back to you as quickly as possible. And again, I want to reiterate my desire to work with all members of the committee on issues and to, if confirmed, welcome you to visit India and certainly uh, continue our dialogue. I must have been, I was a little too complimentary because now we have someone else who's shown. <laughs> Would you like to ask a question? Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'll be brief. Uh, Mr. Chairman, this committee has structured uh, the, the portfolio that we work with a little bit differently than uh, perhaps uh, the State Department or Department of Defense does. Uh, India is actually in a different uh, subcommittee uh, in this committee than the portfolio and how it's handled at State Department. Um, would it be helpful if we had sort of a realignment on those issues? Uh, I do know that the State Department is looking at an overall set of organizational issues. I'm not in a position to say what they will do overall, but I can tell you that uh, I refer to the Indo-Pacific region. I certainly uh, consider India critical to Asia as well as to South Asia and Central Asia. Uh, I was mentioning earlier that one of the challenges is the military has a Pacific command that goes right between the border of India and Pakistan, and part of the job of ambassador, and what I would do if confirmed would be to make sure I have a good relationship with both the Pacific Command and the Central Command, uh, and I would make sure, again, if confirmed, that I would be working closely with people who are involved in our Asian and East Asian policy as well as the South Asia. But as to how the department may be organized, I'm really not in a position. No, thank you for that. And I think that's just something as the committee looks to, to reorganize in the next Congress, that's something that we might consider. So thank you. With that, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you.